Thanks again this morning for taking the songs that are selected, and you guys make them into something beautiful, and uh, we're grateful for your skills and your talents in the Lord. Exodus chapter 4, it's on page 47. If you'd like to use a Bible from the pew, it might be easy for you just to grab that and turn to page 47. Otherwise, uh, let's look at the first 18 verses, really the first 17, but I'll go ahead and overlap us and read the first 18, and then we'll pick up there, Lord willing, next week and uh, take it from there. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. Then Moses answered, But behold, uh, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and the water that, uh, shall, uh, that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in, in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put 
the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Your word is eternal. It's flawless. It's perfect. It's powerful. And our prayer is that you would not only show us wonderful things from your word in these next few moments, but that you would be present with us by your powerful spirit transforming us, creating something anew, afresh in us for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 4 is it really a continuation of the same episode uh, from chapter 3, the previous ch uh, chapter. The Lord has appeared to Moses through the burning bush, chapter 3. The Lord has told Moses that Moses himself will be the one who will go back to Egypt and who, who will bring Israel out of Egyptian captivity. That was early in chapter 3, and the rest of chapter 3 centered around two questions that Moses had in light of that new revelation. I, I, I quickly summarized those two questions from uh, chapter 3 in this way. Moses first asks, who am I? And then Moses asks the Lord, who are you? And as the Lord had been revealing um, himself to Moses in chapter 3 by declaring his name and unpacking the significance of that, Moses would was told in verse 18 of chapter 3, this is important to grasp here, he was told in verse 18 of chapter 3 that the Israelites would listen to him. He was also told, however, that Pharaoh at first would not listen to him, but that God would provide wonders, powerful display of his own power through Moses so that Pharaoh would let Israel go. And in fact, not only would Israel be allowed to depart, but that the Egyptians would give them wonderful parting gifts. That brings us to chapter 4 what we just read, Moses raises some further concerns or perhaps even objections, if you would, to the Lord's plan. And I'll quickly summarize these three concerns or objections in this way. In verse 1, uh, he says, they won't believe me. In verse 10, he says, I'm not a good spokesman. And in verse 13, he says, wouldn't it be better to send someone else? So the heart of this section, the heart of what we've just read, concerns not merely the authority of the Lord, but, but in an even more practical way, the sufficiency of the Lord. It is, it is my contention that what we will see and what we see unfolding in this chapter is how Moses has 
a skewed wrong focus. His focus is upon himself. The problem with his focus upon himself is that by focusing upon himself, he is acutely aware of the fact that he is not adequate for such a big and important task. He's going to be God's man to be the liberator and the leader of of the people of Israel, taking them up out of Egyptian bondage and into the promised land. Moses knows that he ain't got in and of himself what it takes to do that. Two things I want us to revolve our thoughts around. We'll spend more time on this first point and then a little bit of time on the second point. First, I want us to consider from this passage the improper approach for considering sufficiency. Second, I want us to consider then the proper approach for considering sufficiency. I would suggest, under this first point, an improper, the wrong approach for considering sufficiency. Moses is considering his own sufficiency, and and he's come to this conclusion, I ain't sufficient. I'm not adequate for this big job. I, I, I would suggest that the most practical and the most influential factor in your life and in my life that is for determining the very course of our lives for determining how we live determining how we think determining how we emote or feel determining how we relate to others is our awareness of is our acknowledgement of and is our approach to god You say, well, God's not very practical to my life. We are always living our lives out in the presence of the Lord. Life is always God-referential. The Lord does not always appear to his people in a burning bush. Uh, But the Lord is here, he is there, he is everywhere. Psalm 139 asks the question rhetorically, where can I flee from your presence? You you, you and I, in, in, in terms of real reality, you and I never have a moment that we're apart from the Lord. The, the real rub is, is are, are you, uh, are you uh, aware of the Lord's presence? Are you acknowledging the Lord's presence? Are you and I approaching the Lord who is present with us? For the most practical and most influential factor for why we do what we do is either the reliance that we have upon the Lord or the lack thereof. It is the greatest determiner for how we respond to life, the direction that we move in life. Moses is struggling. Moses is struggling with his sufficiency, with his adequacy to carry out what the Lord has announced he is to do. I'm not convinced, I'm going to take a kinder approach to Moses here, in this, in, because I hope that Moses will take a kinder approach to me if the shoe was on the other foot. But, but 
I'm, I'm not convinced that Moses is, is displaying an open defiance toward the Lord here in this passage with the Lord's commands. But Moses is at least completely unconvinced uh, that he is up for this task. And the reason that he is not convinced that he is up for this task is he has a wrong focus in his life. Most of your and my disregard for what the Lord requires of us is conditioned by our lack of focus upon the Lord. Someone, something other than the Lord, most likely ourselves, is the central focus of our lives. We are self-centered, self-focused. We're not God-centered. We're not God-focused. And the consequence of such a wrong focus is the acute awareness of our insufficiency, of our inadequacy to do what God has called us to do. You see, without a, a proper focus upon the Lord, Moses is not thinking about what the Lord has just said. Moses is thinking about the unlikeliness of him pulling off what was just directed for him to do. Look at, what he, look at the question he raises there in verse 1. But behold, they will not listen to me. Uh, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Now, what did the Lord just say in verse 18 of chapter 3? And they will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, they, they won't listen to me. Moses said they will. I mean, God says they will listen to you. Did Moses not hear that? Perhaps the hugest impediment for you and I to hear God's voice from His Word is that we really aren't focused upon the Lord, and so we miss hearing what He says to us. The Lord had just said uh, in verse um, 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. He's just issued this big promise. And that is, as, as, as big and, and famous as Pharaoh is, guess what? I'm bigger. I will bring him down. I'm not asking you to bring him down. I'm asking you to acknowledge that I can handle Pharaoh. Moses is thinking out loud to the Lord, I think. In verse 1, verse 10, verse 13, he's uh, with the notion that he's not adequate to do this, and that they won't believe him. You know, and if you just look at it from Moses' standpoint, he's got a point. He's been gone for over 40 years. If anyone does remember him, um, then they will remember that he left under a cloud of suspicion. 
And for the last 40 years, he's, he's not been a, a great liberational leader leading masses of people. He's been tending sheep. And what he's got going for the, him is he's going to come back and tell the people of Israel, the Lord, you, you won't believe what the Lord said in this burning bush. Now, if that was your resume, wouldn't you be a little bit less judgmental of Moses right now? You'd be like, he's got a point. This is what I've got going for me. And I'm supposed to take the world superpower on, and I'm supposed to say to him, let my people go. Because the bush told me to. None of this is making a whole lot of sense to Moses. And it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to you and I as well. If our focus is upon ourselves. With this wrong focus upon himself, Moses is not listening. He ignores what God has already said. Because he said in 3.18, they, Israel, will listen to you. And what does he say in 4.1? But they won't believe me or listen to me. He not only ignores what God said, but he impugns what God is able to do. He says there in verse 10, he says, but Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past, or this is where even he impugns what God's, or or." Or even since you have spoken to your servant. In other words, I've, I've had a past hassle with being able to speak eloquently. And honestly, now that I'm talking to you, it's not improved much. Implying that there's no noticeable difference between my lack of eloquence previously and my continued lack of eloquence. By the way, just as a sidebar, um, this is my life verse. I am not eloquent. In, in fact, in, in the spring of 1980, when I felt like the Lord was stirring in my heart to, to serve Him vocationally, um, I, I actually, I actually uh, Diane and I were dating at the time, and I said to her, you know, I, I kind of think, that, I kind of feel like God's calling me to Go into the ministry, but, but I, I don't have what it takes to be a good speaker. And, and she, she weaponized herself and used this verse on me. Like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> let's rethink this one again. So, so it's my life verse. I'm not elo eloquent, though. Um, so you, and you, have, you guys have to put up with the consequence of that. So um, Moses not only ignores what God has said, he not only impugns what God is able to do, but... but <sighs> In a sense, when you get to verse 13, and I think he does this politely, uh, when he says in verse 13, Oh, Lord, please send someone else. And even though it's polite, I don't think it's openly defiant, he insults who God is as God. Almost kind of implies, I know I'm not competent to do this, and I don't know if you're all that competent in who you think should be going and doing this. That Moses thinks he could advise God as, as a better uh, way to give wisdom and counsel. Hmm. 
That never turns out well. Ask Job about that. You see, if, if, we, if we size up our ability uh, to do what God says we are to do, based upon our own talents, based upon our own smarts, based upon our own energies, based upon our own eloquencies, or, uh, then we should feel inadequate. There's a sense of, of, I'm not trying to let Moses off the hook here, but I am trying to say there is a sense of true reality percolating in Moses' understanding of which ways up. Because what, but yet, what Moses suffers from the most in this massive sense of inadequacy, what, what Moses is really suffering from is an inadequate view of God. The Lord has revealed himself to Moses in chapter 3, but that's not altogether sunk in yet. Moses' perspective of insufficiency is rooted in his own insufficiency and not the Lord's insufficiency. Because if there's one thing the Lord does not have, the Lord doesn't have an ounce or a shred of insufficiency. So what the Lord does is the Lord is about to refocus Moses from himself, Moses, and his own inadequacies and insufficiencies to the Lord, to the Lord's sufficiencies, to the Lord's adequacies. But before we transition from the first point to the second point, let me throw this little sidebar uh, point in here. And that is, because this is huge, this is a part of unpacking what the Lord is doing through Moses. Christianity is not some supernatural self-improvement therapy. Such a religion would still orient us around ourselves and not the Lord. If Christianity is a self-improvement project, then guess who's the focus of that project? Ourselves. Christianity experientially begins, as our Lord Himself said in Luke 14, Luke 9, it begins with self-denial, not self-preoccupation. Through self-denial, we come to see that our old self is gone, that our old self has in fact died with Christ, and that by the grace of Christ, we have put on a new self which is now in Christ. All of that simply to say that any notion of self-improvement would foster a self-focus. Christianity is actually more about self-replacement fostering a focus upon Christ. So the Apostle Paul would say in a passage like Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and laid down His life for me. 
Do you see the Apostle Paul was orbiting around the Lord Jesus Christ? He wasn't orbiting around himself. This huge impediment to our lives in terms of hearing what the Lord says to us, in terms of complying with the Lord says to us, it revolves in a huge way around a wrong focus, a focus not upon God and His sufficiencies, His adequacies, but a focus upon ourselves. And if we're in touch with reality, even a smidgen, if our focus is upon ourselves, we will feel our insufficiencies and take note of our inadequacies. So how does the Lord handle this? Well, He gives Moses the proper approach for considering sufficiency. Now, it's, what's interesting is what's said in verse 14. After Moses finally says, um, please, uh, I beg your pardon, sir, but couldn't you send someone else? Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled, burned against Moses. Now, that used to be a big deal. I mean, culturally, our view of God is we're so chummy with Him. He's so benign uh, and, and inept uh, that uh, something like the anger of the Lord is, oh, that's such an archaic, um, a puritanical concept. Uh, we're enlightened people. And we're wrong. Our politicians have no fear of the anger of God. And in fact, they would assume that they're doing a better job at being God, managing the details of your life than either you can do or certainly most, most assuredly what God can manage. And that sort of hubris will be called into account one day Maybe sooner, maybe later. I don't know the timetable on that, but it will be called into account. They have lost the fear of God. They have lost a category that God is not someone whom you want his anger to be geared, geared toward us. Why? Because he is infinite. He is eternal. He is holy. He is just. He is ever-present. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is creator. He is king. He is Lord. And for him to be angry is no small matter. But I would suggest to you, and this is the great, one of the great tensions and mysteries of the Scriptures. It's a beautiful tension. It's a wonderful mystery I would suggest to you that what God does next, it just says that the anger of the Lord burned, was kindled against Moses. But I would suggest to you that, that, that what the Lord is doing and has been doing with Moses is he's dealing with Moses. He has been dealing with Moses. He will continue to deal with Moses mercifully. Moses deserves 
the anger of God to be burned on him. But the Lord will handle Moses mercifully. How does he do that? Well, let's look first of all at how he does this in terms of how he responds to Moses. Moses' self-focus uh, has left Moses feeling insecure. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to my voice? Uh, Moses' self-focus has led Moses to feel incompetent. I'm just not a very eloquent speaker. Moses' self-focus has led him to feel totally insufficient. Couldn't you send someone better? I mean, he doesn't say better, but that's my implied implication there. Couldn't you send someone else, someone that knows how to do these kind of things? I don't know how to do these things. Uh, and, and yet the Lord, all the way through here, even though Moses deserves the anger of God, I mean, it, 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 to, defi- to, to ignore, whether it's a mild way or to more acutely to defy, to, to either ignore or discredit, Dis, uh, uh, disagree with or defy the Word of God is, is a sure, um, uh, puts you in a sure posture of experiencing the anger of God. And yet the Lord doesn't deal with Moses according to his anger. He deals with Moses according to his mercy. He patiently responds to Moses in each of these concerns or objections to the, to the issue of his insecurity there in verse 1. Uh, what if they don't believe me? What, what, if they, what, if they, what if they don't listen to my voice? Uh, God is basically explaining to them, I will empower your service. My very power through signs and through wonders will validate that you are from me. They will listen to you because they will see my power. To his, to his incompetency, I'm just not a very good spokesman. Uh, the Lord says, I will be with your mouth. He will, imp- he will, he will equip Moses to speak. I'm the one who makes mouths. I'm the one who makes mouths speak. I'm the one who makes mouth, mouths uh, mute. I can handle your mouth. Can't you send someone else? God mercifully says, Aaron will accompany you. Do do you see God's kind mercy surrounding Moses at this moment to, def- to, to either disagree with or to defy or to at least question or have concerns about the directives of God, to, to imply that you're not going to be in full compliance with, with the directives of God and yet God treat you mercifully? Are there any of the commands of God that you're really good at obeying? How about just the most general one? How about one like, be holy, for I am holy? How are you doing with that one? You got that? No, you ain't got that. What Moses will come to see, I mean that both literally and figuratively, 
When, when, when Moses asks in Exodus 33 and 34, show me your glory, the Lord tucks him in the side of a rock and the Lord then passes by him on his backside and, and the Lord reveals himself to Moses by simply saying these words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses will officially be told in Exodus 34 what Moses is already experiencing in Exodus 4. Here is a God who is slow to anger, always abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yes. The psalmist in Psalm 103 will pick up on this very beautiful reality. It will quote parts of, Psalm, of Exodus 34, and, 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 he, and, and the psalmist will say in Psalm 103, verse 4, that, that you, God, you crown us with steadfast love and mercy. He will say in Psalm 103, verse 10, after he, after he says in verse 9, you will not, um, you will not keep your anger on us forever, the Lord says this, He will not deal with us according to our sins. Do you get that? If the Lord was to deal with you according to your sins, and you may not even be as bad as that guy next to you. Don't look over there right now because we'll know we're talking about him. But, but, but if the Lord just was to deal with you according to your sins, the eternal, white-hot, just, and holy anger of God would lead to eternal, conscious torment. So how does God not deal with us according to our sins? Substitution. He will not deal with us according to our sins because He dealt with Jesus according to our sins. God's anger can be satisfied because Jesus has bore up under the just wrath of God in our place, on our behalf. For any and all who even this morning would turn and trust in Jesus, for any and all this morning who are actively trusting in Jesus. All who have called upon the name of the Lord, the Lord will not count our sins against us. Father, thank you. May our focus be upon you, our God, our Father, our Lord, our Savior, the Spirit, your indwelling presence with us. Father, may we never size up what you ask us to do in light of our adequacies and our sufficiencies. Father, may we only and always rest in and reside in and return to the adequacies, the sufficiencies, the abundance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we marvel in, may we glory in, may we worship you for the abundant mercy that you have given to us, that you've turned away your anger and now we are your well-loved children. Oh, Father, we thank you for such mercy. For we pray this in Christ's name.
Amen. Let's stand and